It's Living the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. All right, this week on Living the Bream, we want to bring you information. Uh, a lot of folks out there have questions. We do this every day on Fox News and at Fox News at Night. At 11 o'clock, especially, we try to cut through all the news of the day, bring you facts. Uh, there's a lot of anxiety and worry and unknown out there. So as much as we can know, we like to know, um, but there is changing data every day. So um, we're all learning as we go. It's great to have experts along with us on this journey, though. And today we have Dr. Nicole Sapphire. She's a doctor at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. You recognize her as a Fox News contributor and her book, Make America Healthy Again launches April 21st, but it is available. You can go online now uh, and find out how we can all make ourselves healthier despite uh, a virus epidemic or anything else. Um, lots of great advice in there. Dr. Sapphire, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be with you, Shannon. Okay. So let me ask you, um, because you and I have talked about this for weeks, uh, as you've been doing all over Fox and everywhere else, um, we're learning so much every day about treatments, about data that changes the models. I mean, how tough is it to keep up, even as a physician, um, you're on the front lines of this thing? Well, let me tell you, Shannon, I mean, this is an evolving situation. There's a reason they call it the novel coronavirus, because it's new, meaning we don't know much about it. And that is why, you know, people get frustrated because first, you know, don't wear a mask and now it's wear a mask. And now then it was, you have to be quarantined for 14 days if you'd had exposure. And now just recently they're saying, actually, no, if you're a frontline worker, you can go back with, with some restrictions. And, you know, I just want to tell people, try not to be frustrated because we are learning new information every single day. It is it is what it is. And we're going to get through this. And we have a lot of the smartest people possible working on this. They're coming up with treatments and ways of testing and and vaccines and everything possible. So I promise we'll get through this. It's just a little frustrating right now. Yeah. And I keep hearing every day something new. Um, We've heard a lot about the testing, how widely it's available, how quickly it's ramping up, um, the speed of the testing. um, And it seems like a new development on that front every day. Um, What's your sense of how many undiagnosed cases that we may have? Is there any way to know? Because if we're, we're using these numerators and denominators, you know, about fatalities and death rates, but we don't really know how many people across the U.S. actually have this, and they may never know. Is there any way to get our arms around that? Well, that is a, that is a great thing to discuss because that is what kind of tripped us up in the beginning with these higher case fatality rates. And they were saying anywhere from 10% or 4% of people who actually got the infection were dying, but that was just based on the limited amount of people that they were testing that they had it. Now that we have tested so many more people, I think that there is a huge amount of the population that has either already had COVID-19 and has recovered or even has it now. You know, some of the data is showing us 25 to 50% of people may be asymptomatic with the infection or just have such mild symptoms, they don't even realize they're sick. So we know for certain, a lot more people have this illness that are being tested. The people who are being tested are really the ones who are going into the hospital or have more significant symptoms. So until we start doing random testing of populations that are symptomatic, asymptomatic, we're not going to really have a good idea of how many people have actually had that. But that being we now want to look forward to the future, and that is the antibody test. So we have two tests that we've been talking a lot about. We have that nasal swab, which is a molecular test that is actually looking for the virus if it's present in the system. And that's what we've been doing for the most part. Now we're talking about an antibody test where they can actually just do a blood draw, and you don't have to go through that painful nasal swab. 
the blood draw will actually show if you have antibodies in your bloodstream, which means that you have been exposed to the virus. And they can help determine if you're having, if you were just exposed to it in the last 24 to 48 hours, or potentially greater than 72 hours ago. If we have that, the going um, concept right now that Dr. Fauci and Burks keep mentioning is that they think if you have been exposed to this virus, then that will confer some immunity, meaning you may not be able to get the infection again if you've already had it once, or if you do get it again, it'll be even more mild than the first time. If we go with that, and it really is like that, similar to chicken pox or something along those lines, then that huge part of the population that has already been exposed to this virus, they can get back to work and we might be able to get our economy going again. My only concern with that is, you know, the the coronavirus is one of the, not the one that causes COVID-19, but just a common coronavirus is what causes our common colds. And you know that we can get many colds many times throughout our lifetime. So certain coronaviruses do not cause immunity once you've been exposed to it. So I'm a little hesitant to say that one exposure to this coronavirus that causes COVID-19 will give immunity. But, you know, I am not an infectious disease expert and I do look to the specialists just like everybody else's. And if they're telling me that this is the belief right now, then I have to go with that because I do have faith and trust in our United States specialists. You know, I don't necessarily have the same trust at some of our foreign allies when it comes to some of our research. But if, if Dr. Fauci is telling us that an infection with this virus will confer some immunity, then I'm going to go with that. And my recommendation will be, if you have the antibodies, then it is time to get this economy going again. Yeah, it's uh, like you said, this being a novel coronavirus, um, there is so much that we are, we just can't know. And I know that the um, unknown is what makes people so anxious because we can't make decisions that are 100% set in stone regarding the economy or medical treatments or anything else. Um, but those two areas of testing, uh, I know everybody agrees, are critical in trying to figure out the path forward. Um, so there's been a lot of debate, too, about various therapeutics. I mean, things that don't cure the disease, but help people through it, help them to recover. Um, and hydroxychloroquine and um, the z the combination zinc, I mean, those have gotten the most attention. But there are other uh, therapeutics that I'm reading about, other drugs that are testing, um, they may be already approved for a different use uh, and are shown to be generally safe. Um, but from arthritis drugs to lupus drugs to, uh, you know, all kinds of things, HIV drugs, I'm hearing um, that there are so many different studies ongoing. And it's really encouraging and interesting to me to see how doctors are sharing information across various platforms across the world. Um, how does it help us now figure out if there's something that maybe not will cure coronavirus, but will get patients through. Um, how concerned should we be about the fact that we're, we're going to have to skip the traditional testing, um, but there are some shortcuts we can do when we're in the middle of an emergency? Well, the goal right now is to try and keep as many people out of the hospital as possible for multiple reasons. One, because we want to save people's lives, but two, because the healthcare system, as we have seen, gets overwhelmed if it has a large amount of people coming into the hospital all at once. It still is flu season, so the hospitals were already performing at near capacity. So the way that we keep people out of the hospital is to figure out what we can give them if their symptoms are mild to prevent them having more severe symptoms and requiring hospitalization or even being put on the ventilator. And what I can tell you is 
I have seen from my colleagues all across the country and now even across the globe, they are trying everything with COVID-19, just like we've seen with HIV and in the past SARS. They are trying a plethora of different um, treatments, some that have been proved approved in the past for other things and some that are completely new. But the bottom line is that everyone's working and we all have the same goal, and that is to keep people alive and keep our healthcare system strong. You know, one of the one of the medications that I was really excited to see, you know, being that my specialty is breast cancer, was there is an, a medication that we actually have been studying for breast cancer, lorolumab, and they're showing some positive response and it, that it's actually having a decreased amount of that cytokine storm that we keep hearing about with COVID-19. They're saying that, that people, their own immune systems are kind of going haywire and releasing all these chemicals. And that's what's actually causing the lung damage and some of the damage to the heart amongst other organ systems. But certain medications are are targeting that and trying to decrease that immune response. As you mentioned, we're also using some antivirals, some that have been FDA approved for other viral infections in the past and some that are completely new. The hydroxychloroquine is a thermiacin combination is also being used. I'm hearing good things about it at certain hospitals and bad things about it at other hospitals. And that's what happens when you have something new and everyone's trying new things. We're not going to have solid data for several months to really tell us really strong studies that tell us if something works or not. But in the interim, we need to try and keep people as alive and as healthy as possible. So I am all for with trying multiple things as long as as long as it is safe for the patient. You know, one of the things that I am very, you know, I find extremely disappointing is just how controversial some of this has become. And I think it, you know, there it's a lot of factors that have come into that. One of it being social media. Everyone has an opinion these days and those opinions can go viral. And then also, you know, there is just a lot of tension um, surrounding President Trump and, you know, he's going to have critics and he's going to have supporters. And it's unfortunate that they're so polarized because President Trump mentioned he had heard that there was a possible combination that was working. And because he was excited to share those results, whether they're anecdotal or not, he was excited to share them. He wanted to give hope to people. But of course, his bipolar critics and supporters jumped on that. And now it has just become a lot more politicize and it doesn't need to be. The bottom line is we all have the same goal. We want to treat COVID-19. We want to overcome it. And I think it is great to try and give some, you know, some glimmers of hope, whether or not they're going to turn out to be robust data or not. Um, you know, we all have the goodness of the American people at heart. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. Yeah. And Dr. Burks in yesterday's briefing, when we're recording this on Thursday, it was a Wednesday briefing that she talked about just praising the American people, saying, listen, we're seeing these glimmers, these tiny, tiny bits of potential hope about bending the curve in certain spots. Although we know that because this is such a big country, we're going to have ebbs and flows and waves and spikes in different states and different places um, just because of geography and how things spread. Um, but she said, you know, she really wanted to credit the American people that they've done such a good job at really staying home and avoiding things um, that they don't need to do. I know every place is different and some states don't have a formal lockdown or stay at home order. Um, but even there, the governors say that the people seem to be doing it on their own. Um, so the latest recommendation that we have about it is, listen, we can't let off the gas. We've got to continue the social distancing and the things that we can until we inch towards, you know, reopening up uh, society in a way that's kind of, I'm guess, guess is going to be a new normal. Um, but the latest thing we've gotten is about the masks. And I 
Um, when I take really long flights, happen to like to wear just the little not fancy masks that you can buy at CVS or whatever. So I happen to have a box of 50 of them and I feel like they're like gold now. Um, they're not, you know, N95 fancy masks that you would actually use as a healthcare worker. It's a little something to cover your face when you go out. Um, what's your best advice on that? You know, we've heard people can use a scarf, just use what you have, a piece of material. What would you counsel people to do right now? Well, you know, you you touched on a, f- a bunch of things there, and it really goes in line with, to be honest, the entire subject of my book. And it is talking about personal responsibility and accountability and how one individual's effort can not only help them, their family, but the nation. And that's what we're doing right now. We are essentially calling on the American people to take responsibility for their own health and the health of their community. And so, you know, in the beginning, we were a little hesitant to say the general population should just go out and wear masks. And to be honest, I still am because a lot of our studies show that that doesn't work for various reasons. However, this novel coronavirus is a lot more contagious than we originally thought it was. And there's a possibility that's aerosolizing, meaning it's not just staying contained within those respiratory droplets. Although the most likely way that you're going to get the infection from someone else is if they're coughing or sneezing within six feet of you, there is a chance that it could be lingering in the air and you unfortunately just walking past it can get it, which is why the recommendation for the mask. Here's why I'm okay with people going out and wearing masks, because I want to get people back outside again. I want people to socially interact. I want to start opening up businesses again. And because this virus is still circulating, I think it's important that we take the proper precautions. And if we're able to decrease some of that transmission by wearing masks, I'm all for it. But here's the thing. Don't be complacent when all of this enthusiasm dies down. Continue to wash your hands. Continue to maybe not be in such large group gatherings when there's respiratory illnesses around, such as flu season or even still with the COVID-19. What we're seeing in Louisiana is they have a high fatality rate from COVID-19, and that is largely due to their chronic illness population. Louisiana has more obese people than a lot of the other um, states throughout our entire country, and obesity is directly related to diabetes and high blood pressure and chronic lung disease and sleep apnea, all things that are rendering Americans vulnerable to COVID-19. So I don't want people to become complacent once we do get back to that business as usual, new normal. We have to make ourselves as healthy as we possibly can, because although we will get through this pandemic, another one will come. And the only way we can be prepared for that is to be living our healthiest life every day of the year, not just when we're in a crisis situation. Yeah. I mean, it's been heartbreaking to see people who do have underlying issues or not optimal health going into this, having much more of a struggle. Um, Do you think that this will uh, have an impact and change as you talk about in your book, um, Make America Healthy Again, that we will get a little bit healthier? Um, Do you think it'll be enough of a warning to people? Listen, we see healthy people who look healthy and on the younger end of the scale, really struggling and some people losing their lives too, but it seems the vast majority of people do have some kind of underlying condition or just not at their healthiest place uh, when they wind up fighting this. You know, I'm not sure what overall impact this will have on people's behavior. Um, You know, I, when I wrote the book, I went into the history of healthcare and I talk about two folds. I talk about how personal behaviors have changed and gave reasons why that was. It's not just because we're bad people. It's just because of society we've evolved. Um, but I also talk about certain health policies that I personally don't believe have helped us get to a healthier America. And even though to me, it's glaringly obvious what is going on with COVID-19 with um, those with chronic illness are having a much severe course. You know, I'm not sure that the other 
other that, that the larger majority of the population is actually going to notice that as well. So I can only keep trying to hound it into people and say, you know, you want to eat your colors of the rainbows, try and get as many colors on your dinner plate as possible, try and get some sort of physical exercise. Any, If you just increase your physical exercise by any amount, it's better than what you're doing now. So why not try it? We're in the middle of a global pandemic right now, and it is really traumatic for everybody. And so it is important to take this moment, seize on it. A lot of things are out of our control in this world, but a lot of things are in control, especially when it comes to chronic illness, especially when it comes to how our body is going to respond to certain ailments such as COVID-19. I want to ask you too about, um, we talked a little bit how the data changes every day. And so we get these different models right now, the latest updates we've gotten on one of the primary models that people are watching out of the university of Washington has improved in a good direction. I mean, the models have moved into, um, better predictions regarding, um, deaths, illnesses, that kind of thing. But again, these are only as good as, you know, what you plug in and the software that you use and, and nobody's saying any of this is set in stone. But it's interesting, I was looking that they said the peak day, which would be peak need for hospital beds, ventilators, that kind of stuff, was to hit yesterday. Um, and their predictions were that at the time of that peak day, they would need about 23,000 beds, um, hospital beds, uh, that there would be only 13,000 available, leaving a shortage of about 10,000. So I know this was a predictor going into it, but now that we're actually there, you're on the ground, you're in the trenches. Um, is that what you're seeing in New York? I mean, do, are, are we at a deficit of 10,000 beds? I know that, you know, things like the comfort and using the Javits Center, meaning the comfort, meaning the ship that's there, um, the temporary space that's set up in Central Park. I mean, how are you all managing the massive influx of patients? Oh, Shannon, well, let me tell you, I mean, I see things recently happening that I've never encountered before. And that is, you know, our operating rooms have been transformed into ICUs. We're utilizing um, operating room breathing machines um, as backup ventilators. You know, we have really changed the way we do things to manage this. And you have to know that we've had over 10 hospitals closed in the last decade in New York alone because of changes through healthcare policy. So that has actually led us to having such a deficit of inpatient beds. Um, unfortunately, my concern is that we aren't focusing enough on outpatient care right now. I think that our outpatient doctors are really have their hands tied right now. They're, a lot of them aren't able to test their patients. They're, and in New York and New Jersey, the governors have said they're not even allowed to um, prescribe the hydroxychloroquine azithromycin as a possible treatment. I mean, yes, I know we don't have the data that it actually works, but we do have some anecdotal reports that it may work. So wouldn't we want to try and keep these people out of the hospital? So if a physician in an outpatient setting wants to test their patient and wants to write them a prescription, they're, they're being told they can't do that right now, all because we want to just focus everything on the hospitals. But again, that's a very myopic view. If we focus on trying to keep people out of the hospitals, perhaps we wouldn't have needed so many hospital beds to begin with. I can say, though, on a positive note that everyone has garnished together these beds and the resources and all of the health systems are working together. We have the Javits Center. We have Central Park stations. I mean, it, it has been incredible um, what we have witnessed. I just wit wish we didn't have to get to that place. Yeah. Well, listen, we thank you that you are working around the clock with patients, um, working to save lives and making time to talk to the rest of us and to answer our questions um, and try to alleviate some of the unknown and the anxiety and all of this. Um, Dr. Sapphire, thank you for your time. Again, the book is Make America Healthy Again. It's available. It officially is out April 21st. 
And I'm sure we'll see you on Fox multiple times today and beyond as well. Doctor, thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Amy. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.